And from what I understand is that we're starting to talk about envy. Jealousy and envy. And I don't know what was discussed last week. Um, so I, and I just developed my own class in it. So I, 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 I don't think it's going to conflict because I'm, I'm going to try to present it in a different angle and also to connect it with what I spoke about two weeks, uh, three weeks ago, whatever it was, about arrogance and haughtiness. Mm. I think it'll be like a nice, because I, I, I think that being haughty or prideful or arrogant and being uh, envy or jealous, wanting, desiring, coveting what others have are kind of two sides of one coin. And I'll explain. So uh, we find an interesting distinction. I'm sure this was mentioned last week uh, because my brother emailed me his notes and this was like almost the first thing that it said there. And it mentioned, number one, that uh, jealousy, envy, takes someone out of this world. Envy is viewed very, very negatively. There's a bunch of sources that he brought about it being rotten. It's one thing to take someone out of this world. Yet, we find that there's a certain area where envy is actually good, or it's tolerated. And that is envy for wisdom. So there's this distinction. It's, 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 it's not a, you can't say a flat out uh, that envy is bad. It says, no, depends what kind of envy. If it's an envy for material things or perhaps even intellectual things or uh, physical things, well, then that's bad. On the other hand, if it's for spiritual things, then that's a good thing. It seems bizarre. <laughs> if... There's something wrong with me desiring, coveting, being envious, being jealous of someone else's stuff, things, accomplishments. What's the difference if it's a physical nature, spiritual nature, material nature, intellectual nature? Why should there be this distinction between uh, what, uh, the, the nature of the uh, uh, subject of my envy? And what I'll tell you is, that I found in the verse in Jeremiah that says the same exact thing about haughtiness. What does it say? I wrote it down here exactly. This is in Jeremiah. Uh, Where is it? Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, verse 23 uh, 23 and 24. A intelligent person should not be prideful of his intelligence. A, a, uh, a, uh, a mighty person should not be prideful of his might. A, uh, a, uh, a wealthy person should not be prideful of his wealth. Once again, it's saying don't be prideful in areas of physical, material, or intellectual. What is someone, and the next verse says, what is someone allowed to be prideful of? His spiritual accomplishments. This is the area that someone should be prideful. One spiritual accomplishments. That's what it says. And to me, this, this was like a thundershock, where you see the same distinction um, in, in arrogance. You can't be arrogant of your physical, material, or uh, intellectual accomplishments, but your spiritual accomplishments, that you can't. That 
and the verse says, which means in English, in this area you should be prideful, your, your spiritual accomplishments. And the same thing we find with envy. I can't be envy of someone else's physical, uh, material, or intellectual accomplishments or gifts, but I can be envious of his spiritual accomplishments. So this is what, shot, what, 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 uh, what made me, what opened up my eyes. And I think that maybe as a gateway to try to understand this, I think we have to maybe zoom out a little bit and ask the, a fundamental question. Envy. Me being envious of someone else. So there's, there's always the subject of my, of my envy. Someone else that I see, that I want what they have or what they are, or what they, right? Is this, a ma- is this an interpersonal matter? Or is it a spiritual matter? It means if there's, there, if there's something wrong with envy, and the Torah clearly is of the opinion that there is something wrong with envy, is it wrong because it's something interpersonal between man and man? Or is it between man and God? Is it spiritual? What do y'all think? Well, on one hand... It, it depends on what it, what, what it is. So I'm envious I mean, of your car, your house, yeah, your field, your, things, your intelligence, your beauty, your... Whatever it is. That's within you. That's interpersonal? I think so. Because it's... You... Uh, if you're okay with yourself, you're satisfied, you don't need what somebody else has, you don't desire uh-huh. to, if you're okay then you're okay you're, yeah but let's okay say someone with, is then envi- you're not going to be envious well that, that's true okay that's true yourself. that's true but let's say someone is envious let's say is it a interpersonal infraction or is it an infraction between man and God like this when someone when I steal right or I'm not kind it's an infraction against another person right. however when I don't have faith or when I uh, don't study Torah or don't improve myself, well, that's an infraction between either me and myself or me and God. So there's something wrong with envy. Let's take that as a given. Is it an interpersonal thing or is it a, an issue between man and God? So on one hand, we see that envy is when someone is envious of another person. On the other hand, if it's between man and man, if it's an interpersonal infraction, there shouldn't be a difference if it's physical, if, if that's physical, if I'm jealous of your phys- physical accomplishments or gifts or your spiritual accomplishments or gifts. shouldn't make a difference. It must be that, the, that what's wrong with envy is somehow an infraction of faith between man and God. There's something wrong with man's relationship with God if that man is envious. It's not, it's not someone's interpersonal relationships. That, yes. But sometimes envy helps you build your character a little bit more. Build, build your character? It used to be very unorganized years ago. And I knew as a clear woman who were very organized. One was my mother. Uh-huh. And I know that it was driving her crazy when, you know, saw me how, how is she going to eat, you know. And you know what? I 
finally, I, because of, yeah, I cannot say uh, any different way, just that I was envious that people can be so organized, and I cannot, but I changed. So, but you know, now, you, I, I know that sometimes I'm fanatic about that, you know. But maybe, okay, maybe there's a difference between envy and using someone as an example. So you weren't like envious of your mother. You wanted to be like her. So that's not envy. I think, I think you know, envy, uh, just saying someone, this person has, is a model, is someone that I could admire and maybe learn from. That's a wonderful thing. In fact, we have the Mishnah, a very famous Mishnah, that says, who is a wise person? Who is the intelligent person? He who learns from everyone. So that's a very good thing. That's very admirable. Uh, envy is just when you're not, you're not, you, you just want what someone else has, what has. It's not like you're using to learn from them and try to model yourself after them. Her background, and, everything. and she was lavishly throwing her money. She had a golden toilet. She had five cars. <laughs> a golden toilet. So really, I was shocked, and I was like not envious of her, but I'm disgusted that <laughs> if God gives you money, why do you ha- want to have that? Is that help the people who don't have food on the table? Why do you want five, six cars? Just throwing and because parties for Be- parties, three hundred thousand dollars, just one party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I'm not jealous. But I'm saying, if God gives you, He gives yeah, you for a reason, and I don't think you should throw it that way. You know, yeah, but the same person could give charities. Yeah, it's, I'm saying it's it's legitimate. It's legitimate point, and it's you know what? It's remarkable that you're say you know that it's remarkable that you say that even though you see um, all the incredible wealth someone else, someone else has, you're not envious. So, but most people, I'm saying, or people, at least people that have this area as somewhat of an Achilles heel, uh, a shortcoming, to them, if someone is an envious kind of person. They probably shouldn't be watching that kind of television, because yeah. what that is going to do is going to awaken within them the feelings of envy. And well, some people aren't, aren't envious, and that's and that's just means that this is not the area of life. But and, and it, it's a very important point that when this is more of a macro, a global Musar point is that if you know that you have a certain area of life that you are struggling with. Don't make sure you have encounters with it all the time. Try to avoid it. Avoidance is very important. Uh, if you guys remember in Genesis, the end of Genesis, so there's a very fascinating uh, narrative about uh, Jacob. Jacob's about to die. And Jacob tells his sons, come come, come, gather around and we'll give you all blessings. And he gives them all blessings. And at the end, he says, these are the, the Torah concludes, these are the blessings that Jacob gave his son his sons, before he died. And then a few verses later, he dies. If you analyze the blessings one by one, you'll notice that some of them don't seem to be blessings at all. What does he tell his oldest son, Reuben? 
Reuben, you're hasty like water. You do this, this, I'm going to make sure you're not a king. You were supposed to be the king, and you were supposed to be the, 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 the priest. You're neither of them. The kingdom I'm giving to Judah, and the priest I'm giving to, to, to Levi, your, your brothers. That's it. How is that a blessing? How is that a blessing? So my grandfather said, because what he was telling them is, what is their character flaw? Your character flaw, Reuben, he tells them, is that you're hasty. You make decisions very quickly. A king who makes decisions very quickly could destroy his whole kingdom. So not only was it a blessing that he told him his negative character, he also uh, set him up in a way where his life won't always be a constant challenge of having to deal with his negative character. So like... um, um, in our case, like if someone is envious, that's a negative character, and they're aware of it, the first thing they would try to do is to avoid it. Don't come, don't, don't put, put yourself in situations where this is likely to uh, flare up. So, like if I was an envious person, I wouldn't watch television that is going to uh, display for me uh, images of things that may uh, cause me to be envious. I don't have a television in my house. Yes, we can. We can stop watching. That's something. That's like something we should work on. What you do is when you wait for you know you either you fit it into your garbage can. Or you sell it on Craigslist. It's very easy to do it. Sell it on Craigslist. Or you wait for the... uh, you know, Sherwin, you could really choose the programs. Because truthfully, there's a lot of garbage on TV. And, you know, generally we keep it on PBS. Because there's a lot less garbage on PBS. (laughs) And there are no commercials. So, again... Commercials feed that envy stuff too because they're wanting to sell you all the fancy cars, fancy cars, you know, all the fancy non kosher food. Or they want to have a room because their mother may get old and they want... 
There's so many reasons. It's not know. just one home, but they have vacation homes. Oh, yeah, sure. So that is two homes. Just because they can. Just because yes, they can. I actually had, uh, just heard a clip this morning or yesterday. They were talking something about the economy and finances and things. So what, was, what happens is that as the upper crust, this was, whoever, this, this was his analysis, as they got get more money, then they buy bigger homes or build bigger homes, I guess, because they can. Mm -hmm. That then trickles down to the next level. Right. And eventually, the, so they're buying bigger homes and cars, and, and it's all, but what happens when you get down to the middle class and the lower class, they don't have that access and that ability. Yeah, but upper movement. Just, right, exactly. It stagnates at so a certain yeah, level, it, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I mean, Apple yeah. is really and that is true. When people have more money, then you up upsize. And the problem is, there's a and much bigger gap between people that have and don't. It's getting bigger all the time. Right. Anyhow, but back to our uh, yes. previously previously scheduled programming. Um, so, what I wanted to demonstrate today is not only that envy, and as we'll see, also arrogance. It's the two sides of one coin are uh, matters of between man and, and his creator, but they're actually at the center point, the epicenter of someone's faith is going to be uh, their um, relationship to this particular uh, characteristic. How so? So we find, I have a bunch of sources here. I'm going to go through them kind of slowly, I guess, to not uh, overwhelm everyone. But we find two sources in the Talmud that say very striking statements. Statement number one, this is from the Talmud, in Tractate Nida, the very last of the 63 books of the Mishnah of the Talmud. And it says... On page 16b, that before a child is conceived, an angel takes, a, takes the sperm and brings it to God and says to him, and, they, and it's determined whether or not this child is going to be a wealthy person or a poor person, an intelligent person or a less intelligent person, right? a strong person or a weak person. However, whether or not they're, they're righteous or wicked, that's undetermined. That's up to the child himself. And the, the Talmud concludes, everything is in the hands of heaven, besides for fear of heaven, which is another way of saying for spirituality. What this is saying is that many areas of one's life and especially the areas that people are more are likely to have envy of someone else, that's predetermined. Someone's going to be wealthy or poor, according to the Talmud, it's predetermined. According to the Torah, if someone's going to be uh, strong or weak, it's in their DNA. It, it, it's just that's the way, they, they didn't do anything to, 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 to achieve that. And similarly, someone's intelligence, it's in their DNA. Additionally, additionally, well, intelligence that we can argue that's that that's DNA is for sure, and and also uh, physical strength. Yes, but it's also exposure. What it's exposure to things. You can yes, obviously. Very intelligent, and if they're not exposed to things, they will not reach their 
transportation. That's that's true. So so so, so yeah, we have control. Of yes, the, the, the point that yeah, but that 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 point notwithstanding, that what you're talking about is the actualization of that uh, that potential. Mm-hmm. The point is is that, but the potential itself mm-hmm. is from God. Yes, of course. If someone doesn't nourish that, someone doesn't right. like like people, you know, if someone you know if someone's malnut- has malnutrition, right. of course they're not going to be as mighty as they could have been, you know, as they're programmed to be. Of course. But it's saying that really it's the male that's determining that when because you said the sperm. Well, tipa. It's a, it's, it says it's a, it means drop. It says drop. I don't know if that means is, is that preconception or postconception. Either way, yes, the point is is that that's the because because the egg is. The you know, producing half of the DNA and half of everything else. So, I mean... It's really, possible that this is um, more allegorical, you know? Yes. It's the idea. What's the, that clearly the idea is that, is that the, is that the uh, physical, material, and intellectual aspects of one's lives predetermined. Yeah. There's an additional, an additional uh, piece of Talmud that says the same thing with a different flavor, which is important. Whenever you see what's called Agatic Talmud, um, you have to understand that it's there's the core idea and there's ways presented. So, like like for example, what I'll tell you right now uh, is an additional piece of Talmud that says almost the same thing in a diff- different words. What does it say? It says forty days before the conception of the child, a bat kol bat kol is a certain kind of prophecy goes out and declares this child will marry this person, this child will own this home, and this child will own this field. Idea being someone's home life, someone's relationships life, and someone's, and someone's uh, livelihood. Those things are predetermined. Those things are predetermined. Now, the, the, I have an entire class on this particular. I don't want to get sidetracked. The idea being, is that a lot of we what we view as being someone's successes, someone's accomplishments, someone's um, uh, gifts are things that he got, he or she got from God. However, there is one area that somebody didn't get from God. What's that? Someone's righteousness or wickedness. So perhaps this is the key to unlocking the problem. We started off with a problem. It was a bizarre distinction. We had a distinction. On one hand, we're told that we cannot be envious of someone. On the other hand, we say we can be envious of his or her spiritual accomplishments. Additionally, we're told someone cannot be haughty, prideful, arrogant about about their uh, their uh, material, physical, and uh, and uh, and intellectual gifts, but they can be prideful of their spiritual gifts. What's what's the key to unlocking this problem? The answer is some stuff you got from God. Whatever you got from God, how can you be prideful? However, stuff that you earned on your own, no, no one said if you're going to be a righteous person or a wicked person. That was in your hands. Well, that's something that you did accomplish. You did earn. You didn't have to be a, a righteous person. Right? You chose through your actions. That's worthy of 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 of, uh, of, of having pride, and convert, so that's the person themselves. And when I look at someone else, that's the other side of the same coin. When I look at someone, if I'm jealous, envious of their of their physical strength, what I'm really saying is I'm rejecting God. How's that? Because I'm, I, I'm misdirecting. I'm thinking this person did something to get it. Well, they didn't. The Almighty gave it to them. Right? And also, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm losing sight of this important link. The link is, is that someone's physical, material, and intellectual gifts were given to me by God. So and mine were also given to me by God. 
And if I really believed that, I wouldn't be envious. Because that's just what the Almighty gave us. I gave me and him for, uh, to accomplish whatever it is that we need to accomplish. However... This is not exchangeable. You cannot change this, right? Yes. And, and, yeah. And, and also, whatever we do have, we got from God. So on one hand, it's it's misdirected when I'm envious of someone. Because right? I, I kind of like, that person has something. No, no, no. That person has a gift from God. On the other hand, it's futile because uh, because I have whatever I got from God and I don't need any more. In fact, we have a blessing. We say every morning, Sha'asa li kol tzorki. We say we thank God for giving me all that I all that I needed. What we're re- what we what we're really saying is that I got what I need to accomplish what it is that I need to accomplish. Additionally, someone else got what they needed for what they need to accomplish. However, in someone else's spiritual accomplishments, they didn't get that from God. They earned that on their own. That's something I could be envious of. That's something that I should try. I, that's something that that person earned. I'm envious of him. He didn't get it from God. He got, earned it on his own. That's something that he earned. right? He or she. And, and, and that's worthy of envy. Just like it's worthy of pride. You said righteousness and what was the negative? That oh, wait, wickedness. wickedness. Now... As as an aside, I wanted to. I, I found something which is very. Um, oh, see, maybe it's it, um, very counter, counterintuitive. We have a, a Talmud. Talmud tells us the Omadi only gives prophecy to someone who is I quote intelligent, mighty. Wealthy and humble person. So once again, we find intelligent, intellectual, wealth, material, and mighty, physical. All those three things, and humble. Only that person could have, could have prophecy. Now, the obvious question to that is, wait a minute. Someone who didn't, someone who wasn't gifted by, with a gift of, of, of physical might or uh, material wealth, or intellectual wisdom. Someone wasn't get, Why should they lose out? Why should they lose out? Well, once again, you see that these three things are, are, are highlighted. Right? So I saw one of the commentators says that the only thing that determines when some, what someone, uh, someone's um, uh, avenue to prophecy, there's only one thing. What's that? That's humility. But what's the definition of humility? The definition of humility is when someone has gifts, gifts in three areas of life which really encompass, uh, uh, really encompass everything. Physical, material, intellectual. Someone has those gifts, yet they recognize that it's from the Almighty. And they're not prideful of those areas of their lives. They have it, and they still have humility. Someone who doesn't have that, well, then they have no reason to be haughty to begin with. So therefore, they're more. They're, they're, it's, it's less of a leap for them to be to, for them to be humble. Therefore, they cannot access that same level of humility. And uh, another place we find this. I mentioned this uh, at the beginning. We uh, 
we have a, a, a Mishnah in, in the chapter of the Fathers. The Mishnah says, who is a wise person? Who is an intelligent person? He who learns from every person. Who is a wealthy person? He who is happy with what he has. Who is a mighty person, a strong person? He who overcomes he who overcomes his, uh, his inclination. Kovesh Yisro, right, who conquered. Once again, you see, in the Mishnah as well, we highlight these three areas of life. Physical might, intellectual wisdom, and spiritual and material wealth. These three themes, they're from God. So when we ask, who is mighty? What do you mean? If someone is mighty, I'm not mighty. The Almighty, the mighty gave me a certain gift. So what, what is an area of life what is an area of life where I can earn my might? That's in the spiritual realm, when I overcome my, my inclinations, when I overcome my, my obstacles. Right? What it, able to do it. Exactly. Like, you know, like intelligence, you don't have to be educated to be intelligent. So, so who is the intelligent person? Someone who learns from every person. That is a spiritual thing. Yeah. My accomplishments in the intelligence, it's not my IQ, that was different than me by the Almighty. It's what I, it's what I earned. It's what, it's, it's what I accomplished. What's that? I learned from every person. Right? That's something that I had to earn on my own. Right? Who is wealthy? He, he was happy with his lot. He who works on his characters. All these three things is, that, is demonstrating that these three areas of life, they're not yours. What's yours? What, work on character, spiritual activities. Right? And therefore, we say, um, who is wealthy? Well, you're not wealthy. You have a gift from the Almighty. But... There is a certain element of someone's spiritual exercises that equals wealth, right? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, in other words, you're saying that uh, spiritual accomplishment—it's not just relegated to whether you're righteous or wicked. There are other, you know, because that—that's just a, a very short definition, but it's actually what you're talking about now is other realms of spiritual accomplishment. Is that like working on your character? Right. Of course, what we're doing now, yeah. Musar is, is a certain part of Torah. Torah is a spiritual, Torah is, a, is, 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 is this, the grandest of all spiritual tools. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's the Almighty's instructions for spirituality. Mm-hmm. So. And that Mighty person is one who works on their spirituality, who Ooh. works on their character. Yes, hakovesh yitro, which means mighty person is someone who conquers his his character. That that's what the actual uh, words words mean. So I, I think I, um, to 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 wrap up what we have seen thus far before I drop the bomb uh, is is like this: arrogance is when someone forgets that the Almighty gave him certain things. Envy is when someone forgets that the Almighty gave someone else certain things. <laughs> right? There are two sides of one coin. That's what I, that's, that's what I meant uh, at the beginning. And therefore, just like it's silly for me to be prideful of something that someone else gave me, it's silly for me to be envious of something that someone else gave someone else, i.e. the Almighty gave someone else. However, one's spiritual accomplishments are worthy of being prideful, and someone else's spiritual accomplishments are worthy of being envious of.
Who's ready for the bomb? Everyone's ready? Yeah. Okay, like this. We find the very first verse in the Torah. Uh, I'm sorry, the very first of the Ten Commandments. What's the very first of the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord, I'm Hashem, your God, right? Faith. What's the last of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not covet. Right? Don't be envious of someone else's wife, someone else's house, someone else's field, someone else, right? What's the question here? It's a question. We find that there is a prohibition of not to covet someone else's stuff. Don't be envious of someone else's stuff. And the restriction is even, well, the definition of, of, of coveting is that you just desire it. You're envious. You want it. You don't do anything about it. Right? If, I'm, if I'm jealous of someone's car, house, right, whatever, I transgress it whether or not I make a move on this car, house, wife, donkey, whatever, all the examples given in the verse. And the commentators are up in arms. Wait a minute. How can the Almighty legislate us to not have a certain desire? The Torah doesn't say, for example, thou shalt not desire someone else's wife. The Torah says thou shalt not sleep with someone else's wife. Right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? So the Torah says. The Torah says, the Torah does not say thou shalt not desire cheeseburgers. The Torah says you can desire them, just don't consume them. Right? That's what the Torah says. You know? But here Torah is saying uh, the, 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 the last of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet, don't desire, don't be envious of someone else's house, someone else's field, someone else's dungeon, someone else's wife, all the examples that, that, were, that are given. So the great commentator, the, uh, the Ibn Ezra, who lived in uh, Spain in the 12th, 13th centuries, he says like this, he says, if you take a line and you start at the top of the Ten Commandments, you bring it all the way to the end of the Ten Commandments, and it's just one string of faith. The Ten Commandments start with "Thou shall have." You have to, "Thou shall," you know, believe in God. The last statement is faith to its fullest extensions, to the to the nth degree. How so? He, he gives an example. He says, a villager, a common person, does not desire a princess. Right? A simple person knows that certain people are out of his league. Right? He knows. He sees a princess. He knows that he's a common peasant, schlub, whatever. He doesn't even desire her. Right? That's the example that he gives. When the Torah tells us Thou shall not covet someone else's wife. What the Torah is really telling us is that if you have faith, and if you take your faith and you actually concretize it, if you take it from the intellectual realm and you integrate it into your life, you bridge the gap between your mind and your heart, 
between your intelligence and your body, if you're able to make that leap, you will not covet someone else's wife. You won't be envious. You won't even want it. You'll be like the villager who knows that this is just out of their league. Why? Because this is what the Almighty gave them, and the Almighty gives me what I need, gives them what they need, and I, I, I have no business. Out of my league. So in essence, we can look at the Ten Commandments as starting off with faith. What kind of faith? Right? I'm the Lord. Right? Ha- knowing in your head, believing in God. It's the majority of people in the world have that check marked. You go through the entire thing at the end. What's the last thing? Make sure right, that your faith extends to such a degree where it's so tangible and that you, you really believe in God and you know that he gives you what you need and gives someone else what they need. And he does not give you what you don't need and what's not necessary for you. And you believe that to such a degree you don't even covet someone else's stuff. You're not even envious at all. It's the full actualization. It's taking an idea and making it real, making it concrete, making it as real, as real, as real. You know, I, uh, I always say this uh, as an illustration of this point. You know, you have two kids. You know, parents, when they see children and they see them uh, in close proximity to a fire, what do they always tell them? Don't touch the fire. The fire is really, really hot, right? Fire is re- the, hot, the fire is really hot. And a small child knows that that's true. Why? Because he doesn't doubt that the parents, the parents are lying to them. He has no reason to suspect otherwise, right? My children, they know that the fire is hot. You don't touch the fire. Now, there's the other kid who says, I'm going to test it out. And they stick their finger into the fire. They also know that fire is hot. But to them, that's real. That's tangible. That's not intellectual. It's not an idea that they have in their head. I trust my mind. My father said that fire is hot. Therefore, I'm not going to touch it because it's hot. They both know it to be true. To one of them, it's an idea. To the other person, it's real. It's tangible. It's in their heart. That's the difference between I am the Lord your God and thou shalt not covet. They're both expressions of faith. One of them, it's an idea. An idea that most people don't doubt. What the Torah demands of us is to take this intellectual idea and drill it deep into our hearts to make it real, make it tangible, make us feel it. And feel it, and then we won't have, and then as a result, as an extension of that, we won't covet something that's not ours. We won't have that emotion. Says the Ibn Ezra, he says, the Torah is demanding us to not have this emotion because if we have this uh, full-blown faith, we won't have, we won't, we won't covet what, what the Almighty did, uh, determined to not give us. You know, I I had a uh, I had a friend uh, when I was uh, I was fourteen, and I joined the uh, the yeshiva high school. And yeshiva high school, they they you know they do all the prayers not just on Shabbos three times a day, and there was this one guy who was a couple years older, and every time we we 
got to pray, started praying, he would put on a tie. And, you know, so I went over to him and I said to him, what's up with the tie? You know, we're high school kids, you know. And only before prayer he put on a tie. So he said to me, if you were caught talking to the president, would you wear a tie? Well, of course. You're talking to the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. How could you not be wearing a tie? And his words still echo my ears. Because when I, if I were to meet the president, I don't want to get into the political affiliations, right? Either way, if someone meets the president, you know this is the president. This is someone who's important. You shave. You make sure you're, you know, you're dressed and refreshed. You talking to them. You put on a tie. When we pray, we believe we're talking to God, but we believe it all over here. It's intellectual. It's in our heads. It's an "I am the Lord your God." We don't have that level of faith. Of thou shalt not covet. That we haven't reached yet. If we would, we would all be wearing ties. It would be real. It would be real. So on one hand, I'm not trying to argue that our faith is not faith. We do have faith. Right? We have faith. What kind of faith? Right? Are we able to make this leap? Right? And I would go even a step further. I would say that our entire goal in life is to take the intellectual faith and make it practical, make it real, make it finger-in-fire faith, wearing tie while praying faith. Make it real. Make it as real as the table. This table, we get all, we, we know, we tangible, we can feel it, right? You know, the spiritual things are, are, are intellectual. They're, they're ideas. Right? Our goal is to overcome these limitations, these obstacles, and try to integrate the idea of God into our bones to make it real to make it real once it's real we won't be envious we just naturally won't be envious right? we'll be like we'll know that that's out of anything that the Almighty doesn't give me is out of, is out of my lead is out of my lead you know I I uh, you know my grandfather at the end of his life he He, um, he was he was sick for the past last half year of his life, and he had a hard time sleeping. He was up at night, and uh, you know the family decided that you know it's important to have someone besides my grandmother be there with him when uh, at nights because otherwise she'd be up the whole night. So every night we had a rotation. Every night there was a different grandchild who was there overnight um, to be with my grandfather, um, so she could. You know, she, she shouldn't have to. So for several nights, it was me. Um, this is going back to 2005, so almost 10 years. And I remember one night, it was 2 or 3 in the morning. I was like, up or not up, I don't remember what I was doing. I was fiddling around in his, uh, in his, in his fantastic library that he had. You know, mind you, his, the room was literally the size of like 8 feet by 10 feet tiny room, but it was just stacked with bookshelves, and it had like a forbidden bookshelf with like all the forbidden works that I left in the middle of the night. I'm like, reading them. <laughs> Anyhow, so it's 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and he wakes up. And so he sits up. And I'm like, um, Saba, this is our grandfather, like, uh, it's only 2 or 3 in the morning, uh, you probably should go back to sleep. He says, no, 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 um, 
is it is it time to daven yet? He asked me, is it time to daven? I'm like, no, 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 no. go back to sleep. Go back to sleep, wakes up a half hour later. Tells me, is it time to daven? Like, is it time to, is it time to pray, to pray in the morning? And I said, no, it's if that we're praying at 7.30 for another four or five hours. He says, I'm getting up and I'm, I'm the way he gets up. And this is a man who's 90, 91 years old. He gets up and he washes his hands and gets ready. And then he goes to the bench and sits down like this. Literally like this. And he's like, he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. And in my head, you know what it was like? It was like small children, you know, the day before like a school trip, they wake up at four in the morning. They're so excited. They're so excited. They, wake up, they can't fall back to sleep. That's what it was like. And he was sitting there for hours waiting, waiting to pray. And I was thinking in my head, he was there. He, he had real faith. To him, prayer was an experience beyond... Think about it. You're talking to the Almighty God, Creator of Heaven and Earth. What an experience is this. If you could talk to God, how excited would you be? Him, that was prayer was. He, he did it three times a day, and he just couldn't think. Like, you can't go back. How can you go back to sleep? How, how could you sleep? You know, I, that's an illustration of what that higher level of faith, where it's real. Mm-hmm. Like a tremendous respect for people like Zayn mm-hmm. Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Like no, but it's, it's not. It's no. It's that is a result of Torah. And we view all the mitzvahs, every mitzvah, as a certain lesson and an exercise of taking the intellectual faith and making it tangible, making it real faith. We have, for example, there's a mitzvah called tefillin. Right? Tefillin, where you, you know, is the is the phylactery, the fancy word in English, uh, but it's certain it's boxes that contain uh, certain verses in the Torah. I never knew what it was. Yeah, so and, uh, it no. contains four verses in the Torah, one on the on the head and one on the arm, on the left arm facing the heart. The uh, the uh, the reason behind it is because it's a connection. We're trying to build that connection of the head, the intelligence, the realm of the intelligence, and the heart, the body, right? what we actually feel, our consciousness. Right? This link, this major link is what we're, try, what we're trying to do. To take the intellectual faith and not merely suffice for that alone. To make it even more real. And it's natural also, you know. Uh, we talked about, some, like, if someone really has faith, they, they rely on God. You rely. Like, so if you're, in, if, you, if you're in a pinch, you, you know, you your first knee-jerk reaction is to talk to God. Right? It's real. right? And that's not like a f- faith activity, you know? You don't need to get dressed in certain clothes and go to certain places to talk to God. Right? It's not, uh, it's not some sort of um, experience that you have to do. You have to speak in Hebrew and you have to wear a certain prayer shawl. No! Right? It's God's... You live in your life with God. It's a different kind of it's it's it, it's a different kind of life. It's real. Right? You, you can converse with God. Understands English, by the way. It's Spoiler not alert. It's not different what language we use. Yeah, it's this, and 
it's important to pray to God in, in English, uh, uh, outside of the prayer book, outside of the temple, outside of, right? Because it's real. And that's an exercise making it real. We walk through every door in our house, we see a mezuzah. We're supposed to try to remember. We're trying to make little signposts to remember, to make it real, to make it real, to make it real, with the hopes of, of achieving this, this, this level of faith. So in essence, going back to what we started with, I think that envy, not only is it an area of one's relationship with God, it's actually very crucial. And it's it's the culmination of some some the way, how, how do you approach envy how, how do you how do you fight envy so of course the first thing you would do is to try to be happy with what you have, right? Mm-hmm. And we're told you have a, who was the wealthy person he was happy with what his with his lot. But ultimately, the goal is to achieve the level of faith that will make uh, the struggle of 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 uh, of of man with man and his envy make that obsolete. Because when someone has that higher level of faith, they 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 don't they don't even they don't even covet it. They don't even want it because they know that the they, they know, but not know intellectually. They know in their bones it's real. They stuck their finger through the fire. To them, it's much more real that the Almighty gives everyone what they need. So that's 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 my ideas. And was any other comments or questions? I have something that I want to show you. This is a picture from 1920s. When I saw this first time, at this I, I don't remember, my mother told me. I was absolutely convinced that my grandfather is speaking to the God. 